Man, thanks, thanks for for the availability. Um, I know it's short time, but but actually, uh, I think there's a lot flying around, and I wanted to to get your you know take from someone that I follow in terms of sports business news and so on. Um, and the the way we usually do these segments or these uh, interviews is that you know we go a, a little bit into the the personal journey of the uh, interviewee. Uh, you know to know where you come from. You know how you how you landed where you are right now. And in the case, in, in this case, actually, it's for you to explain a little bit more about you know your your Wall Street vertical and then you know the the, the Sportico project and and all that. And then to jump right in into into let's say the current topic, which is what I mentioned uh, before in terms of uh, you know this you know bubble or or boom in terms of uh, alternate means in terms of financing, which I think is interesting and, and we'll discuss a little bit that is happening around here in Europe as well regarding that. Um, so, you know, I, I'll basically leave, leave you the, the floor to actually introduce yourselves and then we take it. Okay. Um, yeah, so my name is Corey Leff, but uh, a lot of people refer to me as John Wall Street. <laughs> Uh, which is my uh, the name of the daily newsletter that I write. Um, that is not my real name. I get asked that all the time, and I will respond to John. Though a lot of people say, you know, really, that yeah, tons of emails to John. So I'll respond to Corey or John. All right, all right. Uh, and how, actually, that's that's funny. I mean, how how that came about uh, in terms of building that, let's say, persona, right? Sure. Um, you know, when I started writing, I really wanted the newsletter to kind of reside at the intersection of sports and finance. So I took, you know, Wall Street is obviously Wall Street. And then I took John Wall just because he was the most famous wall in professional sports. And so that became John Wall Street. I've, uh, yeah, people think my name is, you know, I'm John on Wall Street or, or something like that. That's yeah. not and in terms of your background, you've been writing around sports or business before. You you kind of try to merge too. Yeah, so I started my career in sports talk radio. Um, you know, I don't know if you guys have that over there. Uh, the idea, yeah, a little bit. It's more. It's more. Let's say, uh, pundit-like type of uh, okay. conversation. Yeah, yeah. So it's very localized here. That, that's that's really what I grew up wanting to do. I had my dream job at 20 years old. I worked at the Fox Sports affiliate in Tucson, Arizona, uh, where I went to college. And, uh, you know, as much as I love sports, the honestly, the idea of, of talking about, you know, whether a 17 year old kid was going to commit to the basketball program was just not particularly stimulating conversation. There's also not a ton of money in sports talk or radio. So I left, but ultimately what I figured out was that I, I like, you know, what I missed was the platform. It wasn't necessarily radio. Um, it was the idea that there was a platform for me to share my thoughts and get feedback from the, you know, the community too. And so that's ultimately what John Wall Street became. Um, you know, it's just a, it's just a different format. I'm just writing my thoughts now as opposed to vocalizing them on the radio. Uh, in between though, I spent some time in the startup space uh, with a couple of different technology-based startups. Uh, and then I spent almost a half decade in equity research uh, and that's kind of where I realized that there was, you know, I knew that the sports world wasn't really covering finance per se, uh, and very little business, you know, kind of beyond sneaker deals and things like that. Uh, and this is going back, you know, maybe a half decade or a decade ago. Um, 
but it was only once I got into finance that I realized that the, you know, the Bloombergs of the world weren't really covering sports either. Uh, and they never really looked at sports as, you know, kind of like a, um, a real vertical or sector, uh, the way they would treat, you know, industrial or, or you know, consumer or any of the other, um, the other verticals that they would cover. But sports has grown a lot over the last decade, uh, certainly over the last two decades, uh, in terms of value and the amount of money uh, that's being invested in sports, uh, the value of the teams and leagues and companies that participate in sports uh, and the benefit, uh, you know, from sports being played. So um, while, you know, in the mid 2000s, you could have bought a franchise for $500 million, uh, which is hardly even a micro cap company. Um, yeah. Now you have, you know, you, it's, you can't get a team for less than a billion and most are going for upwards of 2 billion. And, um, you know, we just did NFL valuations not long ago. And I think they had the, the Cowboys at over 6 billion. So, um, you know, uh, just in general, I think um, we've, we've seen the value of, pro, of sports and, and the business of sports increase a lot. And that's kind of opened the doors for uh, not just a guy like myself, but a company like Sportico. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, that's, that's funny. And I think it, we, we chatted about it uh, in terms of kind of a, there, there was like a closure about, you know, sports business as, as a news topic, let's say. And I think that that also has uh, has been driven by the professionalization of sports. So now you see different types of managers or owners getting into sports, and it's uh, people that is highly successful in other industries. You know, more likely than not, it's across entertainment, which is like a, you know a, a close relative to sports. But in any case, it's it's uh, it's you know a, a juggernaut. And actually, yeah. I, I, I wanted to, to, for you to, you know, take two minutes and explain, especially, you know, the, the people which I call friends and family, because most of them are friends and family <laughs> that, that actually listen to this, to know what Sportico is. I mean, as you know, I mean, I'm European, I'm Europe-based and, and we have other sources, but I'm trying to keep up with what you, are, you guys are covering. Uh, and we'll get into that in a while, because I think there are a couple of, of, of very interesting news that could be interesting for people on this side of the pond, actually. Sure. Uh, so Sportico is Penske Media's newest publication. Uh, if you're familiar with Penske Media, you might know a publication like Rolling Stone, which is, uh, you know, kind of a big music publication here in the U.S., uh, you know, big internationally, I guess. And so they, they have about 20 brands, um, but they really didn't have any sports brands, uh, even though Jay Penske, who is the, the CEO, is a big sports fan. Back in June, we introduced Sportico uh, and the idea was we wanted to really serve kind of the high end of the sports business space. There had kind of been for a long time some established players that had uh, made a business of, of it's, it's, it's their sports businesses, but they're built around conferences um, at their conference businesses. They're not news publications first and foremost. Um, and so because of that, the, you know, everything, everything is driven by the, the conference business. The CEO of our company, uh, or excuse me, the, the, not the CEO, uh, but the editor-in-chief um, comes from Bloomberg, uh, Scott Soshnick. So he comes from a, you know, a real editorial kind of background. Um, and we've, we, you know, he felt, certainly I felt, which is, you know, why I started John Wall Street, was that there had kind of been this 
uh, hole within the, the market where there was a lot of people kind of playing to the masses in, the, in, in um, an attempt to drive these people to conferences eventually. Um, whereas, you know, we felt like there was an opportunity to speak to the decision makers and, and people that were not necessarily going to conferences unless they were going to be on a panel. Um, and so, you know, we're just, uh, Sportico, we think we're just kind of, you know, certainly it's always been my focus. Uh, when I started, uh, John Wall Street, I was working in equity research full time. And so I had a, a good job and I, I wasn't doing it for the money initially. Um, I really just wanted to build an influential audience. Um, and I always felt like if I could build an influential audience, there's no shortage of ways to monetize them. Um, and I think Sportico feels the same way. So it's very much, uh, you know, a content driven play. We're trying to put out uh, useful, insightful, actionable content on a daily basis. And the majority of the team focuses on breaking news. I am a little bit different. My newsletter is much more kind of analytical. Um, it's much more Harvard Business uh, Review than it is Bloomberg per se. Um, and so, you know, I tend to try to put things in context, tell people why they matter and how to think about it, or, or at least one way to think about it. And, you know, I think just generally speaking, though, you're going to find that the, the Sportico content is more analytical, not opinionated, but certainly taking concepts that may be, you know, that are, that are certainly not necessarily in everybody's day-to-day lives and, and putting them in a way that people can understand them. Oh, definitely, definitely. And actually, congratulations to you and to the, the wider uh, Sportico family, because actually it shows uh, in the depth and in the, in the quality of the analysis or, or, or the facts that you are presented with. Uh, and you, you kind of get that grasp of what might be behind, what, behind it or motivating the, the, the move, uh, whilst the rest of the media, which serves its purpose, of course, but now it's in a, in a headline pushing race. I mean, uh, I don't know how all of a sudden all of the newsletters have, you know, exploded and multiplied and, and you get, you know, the same headline from different sources and so on. But in the end, it's, it's a bit shallow. So everyone can kind of understand the, the two basic ideas, who signed this deal and, you know, what for. You hardly get a, a quote in terms of motivations and, uh, into the deal. And, and then you just, you know, keep it popping but, but it shows that actually the core of those companies weren't, uh, wasn't news or editorial, but was actually to be a complement to a wider system of you know, knowledge exchange, which are the conferences, right? I know we're short on time today, but, but actually wanted to, to, you know, to get your, your, let's say, live review on, on a current topic that is actually yeah. uh, very dynamic now in the U.S. markets and, and is this model of investment through SPACs. And why I bring it up, because it seems that in, in most of the cases, at least, the, target, the targets of those potential instruments are here in Europe. So uh, there should be some rationale there, and probably it's because of valuations, one of them, in terms of the access of uh, having you know, uh, you know, very profitable pro- properties, that, which there are here in, in Europe, uh, at a lower valuation than the American ones. Uh, but, but exactly, uh, it's something that has all of a sudden not, not being covered a lot here in Europe, but you see other uh, different entities in the ecosystem like Barca, this past few days they've been seeding out the idea that they, even though they are, uh, let's say an associate model, they are not a company, but they are willing to spin out certain productive segments within the club 
and create what they call Barca Corporate and actually be able to fund that and fund the club through that. Uh, so I, I, I found pertinent to have this conversation with you and actually you can enlighten us in terms of what is the SPAC and, and you know, what is the common thread that you're seeing in terms of the destination of that investment. Yeah, I think there's a couple different ways to think about it. Um, and, and I'm not particularly familiar with the European markets. Um, so I, I, it's, it's a little hard for me to comment on what Barca is doing, but uh, it, it does take me back, just it take me back a step. I think a trend that we've seen over the last couple of years had been private equity and teams and leagues launching their own private equity arms. Um, I think a lot of that was driven by uh, the idea that we've kind of maxed out in terms of how much revenue we can generate from ticket sales and merchandise sales. And, um, you know, we're starting to see uh, teams and, and, you know, when they build new stadiums here, they build uh, a whole community around it, uh, retail projects that go along with the, with the stadium. And so it becomes like a real estate project as much as it, beca- as it is a, a, as a new venue. Um, and so we're looking for ways to, to generate revenues uh, and ancillary revenue streams and private equity has is, is become one of them. Um, and that sounds a little bit like what you referenced in terms of Barca, where uh, they have, um, you know, if I understood correctly what you were, what you were explaining. But, um, you know, in, in terms of the SPACs, SPAC um, is, is really just a special purpose acquisition vehicle to uh, take privately held companies public without having to go through the IPO process. It's a lot easier to, and a lot less risky to to pursue a SPAC. So because there are limitations on what you can say about future profits and such, uh, a company that isn't generating any profits could potentially have a tough time raising money in the public markets through an IPO, uh, a company like DraftKings, right? But because of the, the ability of a SPAC, they're able to have these conversations in private and all they have to do is convince the SPAC shareholders to back their, their idea and their vision and they're able to, to take the company public. And we've seen obviously once they're public, uh, how, you know, how much interest there's been in, in a company like DraftKings. Um, you know, I think ultimately what's driving the SPAC craze, the differentiation uh, in valuations between the public markets and the private markets. Um, the, the public markets here in the U.S. are particularly frothy right now. And if you're a private company and you're raising money and there's just a much higher valuation to be able to, to be um, captured in the, in the public markets right now. And that's kind of what's, what's you know, the catalyst for all of this activity, if you will. Um, it, it is kind of interesting that you have um, uh, this rush of, of people in trying to invest in sports properties via SPACs because historically um, publicly traded teams here in the U.S. have not done particularly well. Um, you know, you look at, uh, you know, Madison Square Garden is probably like the prime example and uh, the market cap uh, uh, of the team, uh, excuse me, the market cap of, of all their sports properties is probably less than what the Knicks would sell for if, if the Knicks ever hit the market. But that's probably the reason why is because, you know, as I just said, if the Knicks ever hit the market and most people seem to not believe that Jim Dolan will ever sell the teams, he's not going to sell the team. And because revenues uh, you know, they're not, these are not growth companies in terms of, you know, uh, year over year on the balance sheet. Um, there's not a ton of interest in them. So it's interesting to see that, you know, all these, these investors are coming in trying to raise money, uh, to buy sports 
teams and properties when when the markets have never really um, you know embraced them, if you will. But I think that part of the reason that we're starting to see more public money come into sports is because it's part of a greater cycle. I mentioned up until, and, and you hit on it as well, throughout the 90s and into the early 2000s, these were the people who owned sports teams were kind of mom and pop, you know, owner operated type yeah. of, of businesses. Um, only once the valuation started to get up into the, you know, hundreds of millions into the billions of dollars, did we start to see, um, you know, kind of a different, we started to see people cashing out and, and new investors coming in. Um, a lot of private equity came into the sports space, you know, between 2005 and, and 2015. Um, well, what happens is, is that private equity after a period of time has to generate a return and they have to, yeah. to exit their investments. And they have that um, window between five, seven years on average, right? To, to get out. Yeah, yeah. Somewhere between five and 10 years. And so uh, now we're a decade into a lot of these investments and these investors are looking to, to get out. Um, and so now there's, you know, we've, we've gone from your, your owner operator to your private equity, and now there's an opportunity for the public markets to come in. So you have a whole bunch of things kind of converging at once, but I, I think ultimately, you know, it comes down to valuations and, and the, the, the U.S. markets right now are, are completely out of whack relative to, <laughs> to the GDP. No, definitely, definitely. And uh, well, like, like anything in, in the economics or in the finance world, I mean, I suppose that we'll soon see that trend reverse a little bit or at least put the brakes on once, you know, the whole economic thing sure. uh, kind of gets sorted out. What will be interesting to see, and, and that's, the, you know, one of, I, I think that there's one of the theses behind uh, some of these investors coming in is um, as, as the markets turn and people are looking um, more for security in the markets than growth. Um, I mean, what's more secure than a pro sports franchise, right? Like 90% of their season ticket base is locked in year over year. They have long-term media rights deals. I mean, the, for, for what they lack in terms of growth, they certainly offer in terms of security. So, you know, it's certainly possible that, you know, as the markets, the, as the markets trend in the other direction, these, these investments will become popular within the retail investor. Yeah, definitely, definitely. It looks like, it. and and going back to the, to the example of Barca, to to kind of you know give you a, a little bit more in terms of what they are actually after is that since they cannot sell the club because it's not a it's not a it's not a company, it's not incorporated. Um, what they are trying to do is kind of spin off productive assets within that, and so they have their merchandising division that they will kind of incorporate alongside their media arm and other you know productive innovation tech related assets and and right now the, the estimation is that those divisions actually generate around 100 million euros in in, in revenue so that's kind of the asset that they will want to spin off and, and you know kind of on a multiple of EBITDA and so on and that that is some somewhat of a trend because not only big clubs like 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 Barca small clubs that also even though they are incorporated but they don't have let's say a, a the, the widest appeal in terms of the market, but they do are uh, they 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 do have the same let's say uh, economic model in terms of you know driving whenever we can, but driving fans to the stadiums, TV rights uh, deals and so on. So what they are trying to do is some it it, it feels to me like a process of restructuring you know a, a defaulting company and and actually extracting value from the real productive assets. And they are bundling those and bringing in partners to kind of give them liquidity in exchange of 
you know, tech assets or things like that. So I, I, it's an interesting time right, right now in sports because right now you are not seeing, you know, a buyer that wants to buy up front a team just for the sake of supporting their team, you know, kind of the, the old model. Um, and it's, you know, very on, on a very conscious, uh, you know, financial decision looking at a speculation also as well in terms of what the potential growth value of those assets could be. Yeah, there's been a lot of American money invested in U- in U.S. soccer, or excuse me, in European soccer. And I know even an, another colleague of mine wrote a, an article today about, you know, Red Ball potentially investing in, in Fenway Sports. And, and they, of course, own Liverpool. Uh, so there could be another, uh, you know, another, some public, some U.S. public money uh, coming into European soccer as well. But I know there's been a lot of private equity interest uh, yeah. in the space. And, um, you know, I think just generally speaking, we're going through such a tumultuous time. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of turnover in the in the ownership ranks. Um, you know, people that have, um, I, I wrote about this not long ago, but we've, we had, most of the, because most of the wealthy people got wealthier, uh, during the pandemic, um, we hadn't really seen much, uh, if any, at least on the U.S. side, um, ownership, you know, team ownership sales occurring, um, yeah. you know, they, because, the, you know, the markets have continued, these people are wealthier than they were before. Um, I, I think that as this pandemic drags along, um, as, you know, I think you, know, you saw Major League Baseball came out yesterday um, and, and said that, you know, they have a eight, over $8 billion. That's a big day. bill. It's a big bill and it's a huge bill if you have no, you know, if you're losing $200, 300000000 million, uh, you know, $300 million um, a, a team uh, or, or whatever the number was. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, it's you know, I think we haven't seen the full impact yet. And I think that if we don't get a, a vaccine where fans can return to the stadiums and we can play full seasons, um, you're going to start to see, uh, you know, more team sales and, 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 yeah. you know, change in ownership. And, and it'll be interesting to see if, um, you know, where that money comes from. No, definitely. Because after the health crisis will come the economic crisis and some of those owners, you know, nine to five businesses actually will be affected. And, you know, when you are short on cash and you have this toy, probably that's a, a way to capitalize your, 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 uh, your state and things like that. Uh, um, Corey, I, I don't want to, to take much of your time. I know you are busy today, but definitely I, I think that we'll kind of make this, this type of uh, intermissions and short interviews with you to kind of take the pulse on what's happening down the road. Yeah, I'd love to. Please, yeah, reach out whenever. Um, I'm always happy to do it. I love the hat. Uh, I also <laughs> go with the branded hat. So, there you go. There um, you go. I, I'm. This is fun. I'm always happy to have these conversations, and I'm always happy to be a resource if I can ever be of help. Please reach out. Excellent, excellent. Likewise, and uh, I w- wish you all the best and, and stay safe over there. Speak soon. Likewise. Thanks so much, guys. Talk Goodbye. soon. This episode is brought to you as always by the Connect. The Connect is Raide Luis Baez. Follow the Intersection podcast in your favorite podcasting platform. Leave us a review and share it with a friend. This will really help us be found by more of you interested in the topics of sports marketing and deal making. Until the next one.